0: That's your big man. We're well done. you want, won. Congratulations. Oi, we ain't done yet! This mustn't register on an emotional level. First, distract target. Then block his blind jab. Counter with cross to left cheek. Discombobulate. Dazed. We'll attempt Wild Haymaker. Employ elbow block and body shot. Block ferro left. Weaken right jaw. Now fracture. Break crack ribs. Traumatize solar plexus. Dislocate jaw entirely. Heel kick to diaphragm. In summary, ears ringing. Jaw fractured, three ribs cracked, four broken, diaphragm hemorrhaging, physical recovery six weeks, full psychological recovery six months, capacity to spit it back of head neutralized.
1: film podcast frequently contains adult content including foul language and descriptions of adult situations spoilers for the films discussed occur often listener discretion is advised now take it away dr. Rausch Back to They Must Be Destroyed On Site, Episode 182. I'm your host, Lee. Full faculty recovery, unlikely Russell. Joined by my co-host Daniel, carried off into the arms of Morpheus like a caterpillar in a cocoon. Harper, how you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing well. I'm even mostly sober, so this is gonna be a fun time. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh once again, temporarily that's...
2: temporarily, just to be yeah, fair.
1: we'll we'll see. Uh and uh, once again joined uh by our co-host Jack. Dangerous at both ends, and crafty in the middle, Graham. How are you doing, sir?
3: I'm pretty good. I'm hyped up on the adrenal gland of a goat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we're going to be looking at the two Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films. Sherlock Holmes from 2009 and Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows from 2011. And before we do that, we do have one comment to get through. So I'll go to that first. And this is just another spooky recommendation from Jeff Williams, and this time it's The Ghost Shift from 1943. Oh. Uh, Val Lewton produced a about a deranged ship captain obsessed with authority and his new third mate who attempts to impeach him. Uh, um, I mean, expose him. <laughs> I think he's making a... <laughs> yeah. Uh, the film seems more than a little bit relevant nowadays, he says. So there you go.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll get to that in two or three years when it will no longer be relevant, which is... Par for the course for Tim uh,
1: hmm But, you know, next Jeff Williams month, because uh, Jeff, Jeff Williams month, which is technically this month, but that's already set in stone as as far as I'm concerned. So uh, we, we do have some selections from his recommendations. So, yeah, thank you, Jeff. That will be on the list, though. Now we can move to what we've watched lately. Uh, I know Jack and I have nothing. Daniel does have something, so uh, I'll throw it over to you, Daniel.
2: I finally caught up with the uh, Netflix Mindhunter series, and... Oh boy, do I have thoughts on this? <laughs> Which uh far more than we can possibly get into in this. Uh, it does uh kind of reiterate the thing that I said when we t- discussed Zodiac, the, the venture zodiac is that um this should have been a TV series. I mean ultimately it kind of predated the sort of like prestige streaming television thing. Mm-hmm. Um but Zodiac should like seeing especially the first season of Mindhunter, it's like no no no, this this is this is clearly what he was trying to do in Zodiac, but just only Only have three hours and seven minutes or however long that movie is to to do it. I definitely really liked the, the first season better than the second. Partly because I've done a little bit of work digging into the Atlanta child murders. And I feel like the series... Uh, I don't know. I have complicated feelings about the way the series deals with it that I'm not ready to deal with at this point. I also, as anyone listening to this should know, I have some uh, knowledge about what it's like to uh, process the feelings of terrible people on a regular <laughs> basis. And, uh, I actually have lots of thoughts about that, but yeah, no, uh, I'm glad you had, I had, I was kind of re-listening to one of our episodes where you had recommended it right after season two came out and I, I kind of went, Oh yeah, I'll start this off. And, uh, I was not uh, unimpressed. Again, that first season seemed really interesting. The thing that I really like about it is this sort of dynamic that our three leads end up having, where they're all kind of like bright people arguing with each other about the details of what they're doing. Yeah. And the show doesn't really lean on anybody being like the one who's right. You know what I mean? Like you don't get the sense that, you know, there's one genius who's out there. Like they all have kind of legitimate points to make and they're kind of, going in this real thing and trying to do this new thing, and there's a real question about like, is this even valid at all? Which I think is something that's a lot more complicated. Uh, The second season, it ends up looking a lot more like a, you know, brilliant but broken white male anti-hero show a little bit more it starts to feel a little bit more generic to me, although I like a whole lot of what's going on. It it loses some of that kind of interesting uh, dynamic that we get from the first one. We spend a lot more time with the characters' personal lives, which isn't bad. I think there's some good material there, but I think they make some missteps, and I think, again, it feels a little bit more like something that I've I've kind of seen this before, Um, but I am looking forward to seeing kind of where they go uh, with the future. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's... that's my opinion on Manhunter until we, Mine, sorry, Mindhunter, until we decide to uh, just completely do an, uh, a series of television and just do the series as uh, as, as a full episode.
1: But you know. before then, though, if if anyone's actually interested in a good little uh, podcast that covered uh, season two, I would recommend Duncan and Bo Come Correct. That's uh, Bo Ransdale who runs the the Legion uh, podcast network and uh, Duncan McLeish from Podcast Under mm. the Stairs. Their podcast together they they covered that whole
2: uh season and uh it was pretty good awesome i'll i will i have not heard this
3: so i'll have to check it out mm-hmm. in my copious free time which i do not have enough podcasts to listen to <laughs> yeah. yeah i agree with a lot of what you say about series two it does start to yeah it like the, one of the great virtues of the first series is that it shows you the um the john douglas avatar i can't remember what the character's called it's a fictionalized version of holden or something. something
2: i want to yeah. it like, holden
3: McNeil. like yeah. that's yeah. where ben affleck's character from chasing amy <laughs> and so you know like... as long as it's not holden Caulfield. Um, yeah yeah it,
2: it shows <laughs> the scale of terrible holdens in fiction like you know
3: yeah <laughs> somewhere the in the middle yeah um, yeah it it shows you that he's kind of uh, you know, an asshole, and he's wrong a lot of the time, and the others have valid points to make, and etc. And then the second one does start to look a bit more like he's the the lone genius being frustrated by the mediocrity. It's it the second series starts to resemble the um, pretty bad series in the similar style that they made about the Unabomber where they Uh, heavily, heavily fictionalized the role of one guy who apparently was actually fairly insignificant, um, in, and make him sort of the only guy on the FBI task force that has a fucking clue about anything. Um, (laughs) Which is, which in many ways, it's the least of the sins of that series, but that's a that's a whole other discussion. But I, yeah, I, I I like the show on the whole. I'm far from an expert, but I have listened to the Atlanta Monster podcast, and I have to say, I'm clearly there are a lot of people on the sort of police's list of disappeared kids who weren't the victims of Wayne Williams. No. But it's clear to me that Wayne Williams is a serial killer who is responsible for a, a lot of those names on the list. Despite his copious amounts of self-serving bullshit, which you will be served in enormous amounts if you listen to that podcast, well, which, you, I, which you should, I also it's, have, very interesting.
2: I, it's very interesting. I also I re-listened to that podcast this week because I had listened to it before, um, and as I was kind of watching season two, like I was re-listening to that podcast, and I also have deep issues with that podcast, and so like if we want to do an episode just about. Um, that's like I would be happy to sit and like chat for four hours about uh, well it, those it, those kinds I of mean, things. It
3: sounds like it would just be me being schooled by you because you know a lot more about it. So. Oh no, I don't know <laughs> that much,
2: but I, I'm I'm fascinated with the with sort of like the the way that the podcast is produced and like the sort of I don't know. I have like like. <laughs> anyway, well we're get we 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 have to actually talk about a thing that is in the title of this episode at some point, And so I'm, yeah, I'm let's, not getting into that. But like,
3: let's not get drawn into the irrelevancies of, you know, detecting crime. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Or the way that you
2: might cover crime and the way that you know, refusing to draw any kind of real conclusions in your podcast is something that, you know, is a problem.
3: Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I very much agree with that uh, spurious pose of well you know who knows it's a big mystery thing that that podcast is guilty of yeah well and it it kind of draws
2: out it does the same thing in the second season with the zodiac killer where they sort of advertise it as oh we're going to get to the bottom of this crime we're going to explain this to you and then like no we're just kind of retelling the story and it's retold well but at the same time there's there's no sort of critical judgment given to this stuff and i Mm. feel like you know i could see sort of a version of like I agree that Wayne Williams probably killed at least some of those kids, you know, but I could see a version of reality in which he didn't, based purely on the fact that the like like in the sorry we're again way way afield, but the <laughs> uh, the the fiber analysis guy is like he's so like no this is a completely unique carpet fiber nobody ever ever found another carpet fiber like this one whenever I hear somebody who's that certain about it this is like the one piece of evidence that's used to like like it feels fishy to me and the fact that the podcast host doesn't kind of push back on that just a little bit more also and, you know like I just I just kind of don't believe anybody in that story ultimately mm. you know
3: it, it is one piece of an enormous amount of I mean it's all circumstantial but when you get that right much circumstantial evidence all pointing in very much the same direction and right, then and there's, I mean, and there's uh,
2: dna evidence that we've did that, that yeah. kind of came out since and all this sort of thing again we're getting way way deep into something that we shouldn't be talking about on this podcast but <laughs> i was i like re-listening to it i just i just i get even more frustrated and the whole like thing about profiling and the way it's misused and the way that like that's also in plays into the mind hunter series. I don't know th- this gets into like deep philosophical questions about like why we do the thing we do in, in some ways. And I feel like that's a, I don't know. I feel like there's a conversation there and I can't find anyone else having it online. So I'm going to spew it out on this podcast. for
1: Yeah. yeah. Welcome I, I the, feel welcome to I like to American crime. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, that's right. We need another true crime podcast. <laughs> the world is very short of, of podcasts that discuss true crime. <laughs> that,
1: that's actually the one. That's actually the one episode of that old A and E series I actually remember because it used to play all the time on like Saturday afternoons and stuff. Was was that episode of A and E's American Crime or wherever the fuck it was? It was the Atlanta child murders. So,
3: well, there. I mean, it's an incredibly fascinating topic. It's an incredibly, it, it's like I mean, the podcast does the Atlanta Monster podcast. It does give you a glimpse into just how incredibly complex and socially and culturally significant you know there's so much i mean james baldwin wrote a book i haven't read it but james baldwin wrote a book about this and uh it it, it, i understand why because it's like this whirlpool of all these incredibly significant things happening in in this you know this this it's it's all these issues together it's class and race and the, the the former confederacy and then yeah, pedophilia and police incompetence and police cover-ups and it—it's so dense with meaning, you know.
1: Yeah, but yeah, well, uh, we need to stop ourselves and take a break yeah. before we—before uh, we just do become the next true pri- crime podcast out there in the legion of them. And we're going to talk about more crime, but fictional crime. And we're going to be back after uh, these messages and some music with Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. <laughs>
0: Broadcasting from the cursed Earth, the Psycho-Semanticast. Let us face, without panic, the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have uh, an ignorant,
3: uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I
0: couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs! We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest
2: people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment!
0: We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew them. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho-Semanticast.
1: We're going to talk about these two movies sort of together, so I'm just going to quickly go through the uh, casts and the synopsis for both of these, real this quick as quick as I can, anyway.
2: If only there were more Italian people in these casts. That would be the, <laughs> go, uh... go fuck yourself, or like, like, seriously, go fuck yourself.
0: I have a request. Someone I want to see. Sherlock Holmes. You and i are bound together on a journey that will twist the very fabric of nature It'll allow me to enlighten you tomorrow the world as you know it will end where there isn't any time to waste Then. is yes, them. it does make a considerable difference to me having someone with me on whom i can thoroughly rely it was nice to see you Blackwood. The witness stated that he saw Lord Blackwood rise from the grave. He's gonna raise a force that will alter the course of the world. He's just as brilliant as you are, and infinitely more devious. We'll see about that. Nice touch. I'm simply studying your methods. Should the authorities ask me to hunt you down.
3: Mm. leave the case
0: alone. Case for you. <laughs> Save your bullets once again. <laughs>
2: What was that about saving
0: bullets? First point of attack, right ear. Two, throat. Three, crack ribs. In summary, neutralized. You've never complained about my methods before?
3: I never complain. When do I complain about you practicing the violin at 3 in the morning? Your general lack of hygiene, or your experiment on my dog?
2: Just kill the dog. Again.
0: I wanted to change the world. But I'll settle for ending yours. I wish you would. Get that out of my face. It's not in your face, it's in my hand. Get what's in your hand out of my face. Ugh, they've been flirting like this for hours.
2: Oh! Are we in trouble?
0: You have the grand gift of silence. Makes you quite invaluable as a companion. Ah What do you see? Everything. That is my curse Oh, how I've missed you, Holmes. Have you? I barely noticed your absence. <laughs> I'm new deep in the single most important case of my career. What are we up against here? The most formidable criminal mind in Europe. Professor James Moriarty. <laughs> If we can stop him, we should prevent the collapse of western civilization. No pressure. Who are you two? Concerned citizens. Mr. Holmes? I have a feeling you're in danger. Are you sure you want to play this game? I'm afraid you'd lose. Oh, dear. What? I agree, it's not my best disguise. You know my methods. Shall we get to work? Your clock. Do you trust me? No. Did you just tell my wife? I timed it perfectly. Just follow my lead. Make it count. I'd say that counts. You do seem excited, Man. manic. I am verging on ecstatic, ecstatic. psychotic. I should have brought you a sedative.
1: (laughs) So uh, Sherlock Holmes from 2009, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, of course, written by Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, Simon Kinberg, Lionel Wiggum, and uh, Wigram, and Arthur Conan Doyle. It's it's interesting. They actually uh, changed the writers for the second film. Totally different writing team, apparently. Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes. Jude Law is Watson. Mark Strong is Lord Henry Blackwood. Rachel McAdams is Irene Adler. Uh, Kelly Riley, Yum Yum, as Mary Morstan, Eddie Marson as Inspector Lestrade. Hans Matheson as Lord Coward. Geraldine James as Miss Hudson. James Fox as Sir Thomas uh, Rothram. And Robert Mallet as Dredger. I'll have some things to say about him, actually. The writers for the second film, uh, Michelle Mulroney, Kieran Mulroney and Arthur Conan Doyle. Add to the cast here, uh, Jared Harris as Professor James Moriarty. Uh, Naomi uh, Rapace, Rapace as uh, Madame Sisma Heron. Stephen Fry as Mycroft Holmes. Paul Anderson as Sebastian Moran. Thierry Nuvik as Claude R- Ravish. I can't remember. Uh, Fatma uh, Adun as Manush, And Wolf Collar as Dr. Hoffmanstall. He was, Wolf Collar was in one of the other...
3: Uh, yeah, he's Holmes. the king of Bohemia in the... Yeah. Bohemia.
1: Yeah, which i'm yeah. sure
3: is i'm sure that's deliberate because there's lots of nods in in these movies. Jude Law, young Jude Law was
1: was he not in a couple of the yes. uh, Granada?
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's he a very young Jude Law is in one of the Granada shows, yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember who he plays, but yeah, he is.
1: So uh we'll go into uh, the first Sherlock Holmes here and uh Jack, what are your sort of general thoughts on this one?
3: I'm always surprised by how much i like these because uh, it was like um i mean it's amazing to me that this this first film is 10 years old now but i remember i i found out about it because there was like a t there was like a trailer on the tv you know a, a, an ad spot or something you know it was like anathema to me you know guy ritchie robert downey jr sherlock holmes lo- with loads of comedy and the clips and to me that uh that certainly at the time it was just you know kill it with fire get the crucifix <laughs> out etc <cetera>. definitely <laughs> not for me and then I don't know, so I'm I'm actually not sure how I ended up seeing this because it's not the sort of thing I would have sought out. I would have said to myself, "Yeah, not for me, not bothered." But I did somehow end up seeing it. I suppose it must have been on TV or something, and I it happened to be on. But I actually uh, I I really like this. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't call it uh, a brilliant piece of cinema. Although <laughs> I think it, I think these are actually very well made films. Yeah. Um, the, the the production design is fabulous. The sense of place. Is is beautifully summed up. I mean, it's kind of it's very heightened, and they they you know they they put their foot down on the accelerator, but uh, they really do summon up uh, the the sights and sounds and smells of a past era. You know, you feel like you feel very immersed in it. Some of the panoramas are wonderful. Yeah, I mean, G- Guy Ritchie he's he's a very good director. These are very these are very well made bits of cinema. There are things that Guy Ritchie could teach certain very well known directors like. Tim Burton and Christopher Nolan about how to make cogent, visually and spatially coherent cinema. There really are, especially in action action sequences. It's almost like he's the guy who started off doing like super low budget stuff or something. I I really yeah. don't know anything about him, but <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it, the action sequences are beautifully choreographed. You always know where everybody is. You know where what's happening every moment, even though the editing is very fast. Um, they make spatial sense, which is not something you can say of a lot of films of this kind. Um, I mean, certainly if you take uh, who's that guy that does the bloody awful Transformers films, they are. Oh, Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Yeah. Michael Bay films are so visually incoherent. This Michael Bay needs to sit down and watch these and learn how to fucking do it. You know? Yeah, that's the problem with Michael Bay. He has, you know, got kind of a richie films. that only
2: scratches the surface of the awfulness of Michael Bay. Although I agree, he would be much improved by learning from really any filmmaker, like just, See a film, Michael.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, but, you, you know. say that, but you know, Christopher Nolan, for instance, is a very acclaimed director. Christopher Nolan just has no fucking idea how space works. You, you can tell from watching his movies. Um, that is not something you can say about uh, Guy Ritchie. These films make a lot of visual sense. What, overall, I mean, there's lots to say about this, but I think the reason it works is that it's very affectionate and respectful to the original subject matter, without being enslaved to it in any sort of way and it's it's found a way of doing it today you know that's obviously what they were these are these are films very much of their time they have sort of the marks of their time the 2009 2011 all over them you know um they have lots of tells that that you see in lots of movies from that era but they they're obviously attempts to do these sorts of stories. Um, I mean they don't bear that much relationship really to anything in Conan Doyle, but the basic the basic idea, Sherlock Holmes is a genius detective, he's got a stout friend Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson has a, a, a wife in the wings, etc. and that Lestrade is sort of the, the detective who teams up with them and he's kind of incompetent but they hang around with him anyway, etc. and he's you know, th- this is the basic setup. And what they've done is they've found a way to do these sorts of stories today. And they've done them with a lot of self-awareness and a lot of – they concentrate a lot on the relationships – A lot of it is is digging into how these relationships would actually work and and what these sorts of people might actually be like. I mean, it's very heightened and comedic and over the top, but there's a sense in which these films do try to dig into what these people would actually be like if they weren't the 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 figures that end up in respectable middle class Victorian fiction. You know, they allow Watson, the ex soldier, to be a bit of a lad. They they give him a bit of a gambling habit and he Mm. he has uh, mates from the rugby club and he likes to uh, get drunk and stuff like this. And he's a bit of a he, he can look after himself in a fight etc you know the things that are present in the original stories Holmes is a bit of a bohemian he's a bit of a slob etc they put that in and they do it in a way that works today it doesn't seem twee and it also it just retains this feeling of uh, affectionate respect for the original you never get the feeling as much as they change and as much as they heighten and as much as they make comedic and stuff like that I never get the feeling from these that they're sneering at the old stuff like they think they're they're improving it or doing better or you know like the old stuff is some kind of embarrassing old twee rubbish that they have to renovate i i get a feeling of real they they find the core of value in the old stories that still translates to this very modern up-to-date manner of storytelling and it ends up that the final product becomes really a lot of fun uh, and uh, yeah there's a lot more to say about it but that's my basic position on these i think all right
2: uh, daniel I basically agree with all of that. I don't have the the same um familiarity with the original source material and the various adaptations that Jack does. Although this project has uh made me much more aware and um the reality is that like I saw both of these films theatrically. These were kind of like big budget blockbusters that I enjoyed at the time. I remember, I mean I've seen the first one like like a few times over the years. I don't think I've ever like rewatched the uh the sequel until I rewatched it um, last night for the podcast. Okay, so technically I rewatched like half of it when we thought we were going to do this last weekend and then like we didn't. And so I had to... Rent it again from Amazon, prime to like mm-hmm. rewatch it. So I ended up having to rent this twice, which is less of a bad thing when there were local video stores to when it's like, oh yeah, give the biggest corporation on the planet an extra three dollars. <laughs> anyway, I'm not bitter about that at all. I- Good because I'm it. not apologizing. So, no, well that wasn't you know <laughs> that's that fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine fine anyway so um <laughs> i've always really enjoyed these i always enjoyed the first one more than the second although like re-watching them i really like the second i think the second is actually kind of trying to say something about sort of the nature of the kind of imperial war project and stuff i mean it's it's sort of like buried in this kind of popcorn fun Movie sort of thing, but uh, I think there is something kind of interesting at the core of it. Whereas the first one feels a little bit more like just kind of the fun romp. I mean, it's got that kind of like science superstition thing, which was a uh, you know very two thousand nine <laughs> new mm-hmm. atheist kind of thing. You know, there, there's a little bit of that kind of going on, and that feels a little bit more dated today. Whereas I think the sequel uh, holds up better. Um, there is a third one apparently in production, although Guy mm-hmm. Ritchie isn't involved with it, and I. Don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, I love, I do love the the sort of the slow motion action sequences. The like, you know, we're, we're, this is how we're, we're going to punch people, but we're going to do it like a chess game. This is not how real fights work, but uh, <laughs> it is how they work in this uh, series. So it's fine. It's it's actually a lot of fun. It works well um, in context. I think the final battle in the second movie with Moriarty and Holmes where like, they're practically doing telepathy with each other. That felt super overwrought when I saw it in the, in, in the theater in 2011. And it felt almost as overwrought when I rewatched it last night. You know, I... other than that, they ba- it basically works completely for me. Like it just it works in, in in the film. I do think that the bare knuckle uh, like boxing sequences uh, remind me a lot of Snatch in mm-hmm. that in that really really good way. Like it feels like Snatch was the like we're gonna do this low budget and then this was like and now we have you know a hundred million dollars to play with.
1: He so, likes you know. he really likes shooting sweaty topless men fist fighting each other like he, he has a thing for that
2: <laughs> well and, and and there's so much that like one of the things that i really love is like this this kind of more bohemian homes this more uh, earthy homes and and sort of like part of what he's good at is just sort of interacting with uh people of all like kind of classes and all strata of society in particular he's comfortable with the subaltern class which i think is is a really interesting move to take and mm-hmm. something that is left out of a lot of these adaptations, the idea that, like, he would just decide, I'm I'm just going to go and, like, some, be, be in a bare-knuckle boxing match because I'm feeling depressed and I want to have a drink and I want to beat the shit out of somebody. And so, like, that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, like, uh, the comfort that he has with that, I, I really like that angle on Holmes. And I kind of like uh, Sherlock Holmes as kind of a gangster picture with, mm-hmm. like, this kind of superhero wandering through it. And then in the yes. sequel, I kind of like the idea that he's sort of this like avenging angel kind of going after the great powers. And he's sort of trying to kind of work, you know, against this, this, this war machine, which I think the second film is less than successful in terms of how it decides to execute that. But I really like the intention and I really like that kind of angle on it. So I, I, I really do think these films are like kind of underappreciated. Anyway, sorry, Jackie, we're going to
3: say something. I was just going to say that thing about Holmes who can, you know, mix with like the low lowlifes and stuff perfectly happily. That is something that um, you get in the Rathbone ones as well. There's a couple of sequences in, in the Rathbone movies where Holmes will go into a, uh, you know, a uh, an East End dive and he gets lots of dirty looks. You know, there's there's people that, oh, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes, our great enemy. But then there's also like um, lovable Cockney thugs who say, oh, Mr. Holmes. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, he sent them up for something. But he also got them off a murder charge, so yeah, yeah. Or
1: he, or he wins their respect by telling them tall tales while he's locked up in jail.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's one of the that's sort of like the modern version of what those Rathbone ones do, isn't it? In in these ones, there's a the wonderful scene where Lestrade comes to get him and he thinks he's being beaten up, and it turns out he's at the centre of a, a great load of guys telling them jokes. This is a very socially adept Holmes, which is kind of the opposite of the Jeremy Brett version. The, the Jeremy Brett version does connect with people of you know, lower classes, but he, he does it, but through disguise almost always, right? Well, yeah. And he also does it since like there's a, there's a wonderful, there's a lovely episode called silver blaze where there's a bit where he's interviewing a, a maid who I, I think she discovers a, a, a dead body and she's tremendously distressed, you know, and he, um, he, he just reaches out very quietly and very with no fuss he just reaches out and he, he touches her hand and it's like in the in the brett version of holmes you feel like that's an incredible achievement you know mm-hmm. for him to to. For, and it's not because she's a mate it's just because this holmes is so buttoned up and and repressed that he can't reach out to people and by that point in the series he's he's come out of himself to the extent where he can reach across and make that sort of human contact which is which is part of the great stuff about that show the way holmes grows and 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 does that over the whereas this is very much this is a very uh, gregarious Holmes who can basically swagger through any social situation with complete confidence. Um, it's a very it's American Holmes, right?
2: Like it feels it feels very coded American in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, he's kind of Tony Stark without being a war criminal.
2: <laughs> well, and I and I think there's a and I think there's a there's an angle of like, you know, 2009 to 2011 that's literally Iron Man 2 happens <laughs> right in between those. Yeah. And um, after this, he basically does like two more movies that aren't as Tony Stark. And then since then, he has not appeared on screen. Two days as anyone except for Tony Stark. So I think there's an interesting, an interesting yeah, he's, dynamic happening. He's, he's in here, as, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, he gets into his Rathbone phase where he's doing know. nothing but you know, Sherlock Holmes. I, I find it funny also that a lot of his disguises in these movies are absolute shit. And, oh, and yeah, I love that. They're, yeah. they're way worse than, than uh, Rathbone's disguises even uh, back in the day, right? I like this. I was telling Jack before we got this started that uh, initially I was very hesitant when I first saw the trailers for this. And I was like, oh, this is going to be shit. But I rented it anyway. And I watched it. And, you know, I kind of liked it. But at the same time, I was still one of those sort of homes purists as like, yeah, we get it. There's there's jokes about Holmes and Watson being gay. Can we like get over this now? Like either have them fuck or just stop joking about it. <laughs> that was oh, the, the, the second
2: mind. film is totally queer baity. Like mm-hmm. to a degree that like it's practically text in the second film.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot more now. Like I, I like the I like the fact that they're being jokey about it now. Like before, I was just sort of opposed to it. I was like I was just so tired of it, and then it's all kind of grown on me the the way these are done they are modern in in a very specific way but at the same time like jack was saying they do pay respect to the old stories there's about a million sherlock holmes stories that are weaved in and out of these two movies in one place or another like if even if it's just an offhand reference and i'm not even gonna try to bore everybody with listing that shit but um if you're familiar with the stories and you watch these two movies, you'll be like, okay, yeah, 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 that story, that story, that story, that story. I like how this starts years into their career together. (laughs) Watson's already kind of tired of him. He's like, yeah, we, we need to stop doing cases. I need to like I need to get my dick wet, and I need to <laughs> get out of this fucking uh, well, this fucking the, apartment with you.
2: The Watson needs to leave. Plot element really annoyed me on the on this kind of rewatch, just in the oh. sense of I get you're you're making sort of the four quadrant uh, action picture action comedy, you know, mystery thing. I get that that's what you're doing, and you need like a through line to sort of you know sell this, but also like you know, I I, I just don't need that kind of thing in my in, in in my version. Like like you know. Like yeah, get married and then still hang out. It's gonna be great. You know?
1: Yeah, but it, you know, it's it's that you don't want to introduce your slob best friend to your new girlfriend kind of kind of <laughs> idea, right? And <laughs> and uh, like I was saying, like these are very modern interpretations. They feel like better versions of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, in, in a way, like the way they're done is is very very on the nose with that, and um, especially
2: when you literally have Robert Downey Jr. in blue eyeshadow mm-hmm. in, during. He looks hot as fuck in that, by the way.
1: Like, there's no
2: question.
1: Yeah, he's got a real Bowie thing going on. With he he yeah. does. He yeah. does. What's funny th-
3: this, this this watch. I, you know, when he takes the wig off and he's just got like the blue eye makeup and the red lipstick, I thought he looked like um, Joker. the Joker.
1: Yes, that's one of my notes. It's like. They, they really missed out. There was a there was a casting choice here they could have gone with back <laughs> in the day with him as the Joker. But so much of the, these films have grown on me where I've really come to appreciate them. The one thing I can't get over is the fucking slow mo breakdown of the fights. I hate that shit. I fucking hate it. I I just can't stand it. it's like
2: no punch to the solar plexus. I think it goes <laughs> overboard in the second film. Yeah, I, I like it in the first film because it's so like kind of deliberate like it like it's, just, it's used very uh, deliberately in the I, I sequel just, where he starts doing the like i'm going to like serve, like breakfast is served like sort of thing Yeah, he like feels sort of like a it's parody of the uh, image. you're right it's, yeah
1: it's just it's too, well in even fine. in the in the second film they back off from it for quite a while too like they show some plain well, yeah. scenes <laughs> and stuff
3: where he doesn't do it I was going to say, on this rewatch, there's a lot less of it than I, than I remembered, actually. Uh-huh. I was kind of struck by how seldom it happens. I kind of went in thinking, yeah, th- there's too much of that. And then on this way around, I, was, I, I really was struck by they, they don't actually do it that much. Yeah, and contra what Daniel said, I really liked, like like the final the final confrontation between Holmes and Moriarty at the end of the second one, down to the point where they you get Holmes trying to predict the fight, and then it switches to Moriarty's internal monologue where he's doing the same thing, and it's like they're having telepathy with each other, but it's actually just that they're anticipating what the other one is thinking because they're so alike and they're on the same level. And you, I mean, it, it actually genuinely gives me chills. Down the spine with that line from Moriarty: "Shall we stop wasting each other's time?" Mm. You know, I think that's great because it kind of subverts that thing that's been happening throughout the two movies. Because suddenly Holmes has met somebody who can do it as well, so it, it doesn't work. It just cancels it out. They have to just just to just to add on to that
2: here, Jack. They, they, there's there's a moment earlier in the film where he, in the sort of like um, the breakfast is served sequence, uh, Newman replaced, just throws a knife into the guy. Yeah. And like interrupts the whole sequence, which, you know, you can read as kind of Holmes's misogyny. Although I think that's played down in, in, in this uh, kind of version of Holmes, really which, is. Which, I, I, yeah. which I, which I, which I like a lot. I actually, I actually prefer it not being there
3: in this. Well, if you're not going to treat it, don't do it. You know, if right, if, exactly. you're gonna, if you're exactly. going to actually address it, if you're not going to address that issue seriously, just leave it out. And I think they do. And it's the right, cause he does have problems with Mary in the first film, but it's just cause she's taking Watson away from him. Mm. And he obviously, he he obviously loves Watson so much, you know, he's got a problem with it. But yeah, uh, yeah they, they do leave it out. I leave it out. And I think it's, I think it's pretty wise if it's not going to be it's something they tackle seriously, just leave it out. Yeah.
2: Mm. but yeah, I, Just, just regarding that final sequence on Reichenbach falls, it's not, it's, it's less sort of the idea that he's sort of met his match, which seems pretty, you know, clear and good and obvious, and more sort of the execution just feels a little bit like they're literally like speaking to each other in their minds, which feels like less
1: i don't oh, know like, just, like like you yeah, know it's too cute for me like it it's yeah. just like look how clever and and witty we're being right now on the screen in front of you like it's it it feels like okay guy Ritchie has managed to stop from wanking all over the screen for a while, <laughs> and now he's just gonna he's just gonna blow his load at the end at the last scene like, like it would.
3: Oh, I make- don't know. It would- It it works for me. It works for me because it makes Moriarty really formidable.
2: Sure. No, no, I don't agree. I don't disagree with that. I just feel like maybe if you get like sort of a, instead of like the fight scene happens to like the halfway point and then you hear Moriarty's kind of version of it. If we kind of get like Holmes's version and then Moriarty's version, like kind of from the beginning separately, like I really feel like it's just a question of execution to where, and I feel like I also sat and watched this at the time in theaters and, and, um, felt like, yeah, this just feels really like sort of the dumbed down version of what we're seeing, I, what, you know, like, yeah,
1: I, I feel like it would have been, it would have worked for me a bit better. And like, I don't hate it or anything, but I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cute for, you know, it's a little too cutesy. I mean, it's
2: only like 90 seconds out of a, you know, four. Hour I, film I feel
1: like, yeah, I feel like it would have worked better if they sort of pulled from the, uh, you know, they do do the, conver- the the confrontation scene and they do have a couple lines from the final problem in that, right? Where, where uh, they're both talking to each other and everything and it's like um, and you know, they, they have that line like, uh, you've, already, you know, you've already thought about everything I could possibly say to you or whatever, you know? Mm. Um, mm. I, I feel like it would have been better suited if there was just a quick little monologue from Moriarty or it's like I already know what you're thinking. He, he just tells home flat out, I know how you see this going down and then mm-hmm. they just start fighting and then you know maybe you can have a quick little break in the Holmes mind where he has a little inspiration where it's like I've got to improvise here and then he does you know but other, otherwise it's eh, a little too cute for me but um no nah.
3: no nah, you're both wrong it's good um <laughs> <laughs> it it does kind of illustrate what i was saying about cuz you're right they do bring up those lines from the the final problem where uh you know Moriarty or Holmes, I can't remember who it is, says, you know, everything I have to say has already crossed your mind and mm-hmm. my answer has already crossed yours. That's kind of the, So what they're doing there is they are taking something from the original text and they're making it work in this very modern style. And I think yeah, I mean, you could do it a bit more restrained, but I think you've got to put your... If you're going to get stuff like this to work, you've got to put your pedal to the metal a bit.
1: I guess. I mean, it, it, it does fit the energy of the second movie totally, though. Yeah. I mean, it really does. But I well, also and, like
3: and I, I can I can
2: say people who see themselves as super villains absolutely do taunt the people that they see as after them.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not out yeah. of any
2: um personal experience or anything, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> What do you think of the villain for the first movie though, uh, Blackwood? The first thing that struck me and um I I like uh, I like strong as an actor. I think he's underrated character, bad guy that pops up in stuff and pops up in a lot lesser stuff than he should be in. And I, I think he's pretty good this, although the first thing that struck me is like, oh, this is what Holmes looks like in every other adaptation of the, yeah. Of the fucking...
3: <laughs> yeah, he looks <laughs> like Jeremy Brett. <laughs> yeah. I like Mark Strong. Again, I I mean, it's fine. I don't think Blackwood's a particularly good villain, and I, it's a bit, a bit of a nasty thing to say, but I think a lot of it is Mark Strong's performance because he is a bit blank, and he does do it very much as just... He does. He just does a very much a villain performance. You know, kind it's of plays not, it's... it
1: as a uh, kind of like a typical bad Dracula performance. Kind yeah,
3: of. yeah, and a bit Hannibal Lecter in the prison mm. cell and stuff like that. And I mean, to be fair to him, he hasn't got a tremendous amount to work with. But yeah, it, and I think Black the Blackwood of the villain is one of the the places where the first film falls down a bit for me. I have yeah. to say,
1: yeah, and uh, also. And here's the thing. It's just another sort of modern thing with this where these are big rollicking like adventure films and they're not, you know, they're not really detective films uh, in the strictest sense. That kind of bothers me a little bit about these is like, I'd rather see Holmes and Watson solve problems in a, in a case as opposed to go on these big grand adventures. But, you know, still these films are entertaining enough where it kind of washes over me at the same time.
2: You you do. I was struck rewatching these, like what would these look like if they had like a third of the budget? You know, mm. like, like what would, what would the smaller, like as much as I like the way these look and feel, and I do enjoy these as kind of big blockbuster entertainment, it would be interesting to see what Guy Ritchie would have done if like, instead of a $100 million, you had $30 million to like do the same kind of movie. I, I think it would be sort of not the thing that we're seeing, but I think it would in some ways be more interesting
1: goes to that same question of like what would a batman movie look like at 30 million instead of like 200 million
2: well i was struck by like the sherlock series like i would so much rather like not that we need to like keep relitigating (laughs) this but giving it to guy Ritchie or giving it to like some like the people on this production and saying like let's do Sort of a gangster picture version of like a modern day Sherlock, Mm -hmm. like make snatch, but it's you know Sherlock Holmes as sort of the lead, like kind of delving through the like modern as of like the time, you know, kind of London underworld. And and what's Jason? How how amazing would that series be, right? You know, hey, what's what's Jason Statham doing right now? You want to play Watson?
3: (laughs) (laughs) J- Jason Statham, I would accept as Lestrade um, as that sort of modern.
1: That that actually works real well. Yeah. can about we him get him? Can we get him
3: to grow a right? mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I am thinking about him in Snatch right now, walking around with his with his big trench coat. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. D-, D. I. Lestrade. Yeah, that that yeah. could work. Um, I again, I've never seen a single episode of Sherlock, um, but I have seen the last few years of Doctor Who, and I have seen uh, Jekyll. Yeah. Are written by Stephen Moffat I get the feeling that whereas these movies are affectionate and respectful even through the jokes and the ribbing and the self-awareness you know Maybe that's not true of Sherlock. I don't know. Maybe Sherlock is more the sort of thing where you get the feeling that the people writing it kind of have a condescending, patronizing attitude to the original source material and they think the thing to do is to smear their own shit all over it because that's inevitably gonna be a lot cleverer. Are you um, sure you've
1: never seen an episode? Of Sherlock? <laughs> Because
3: that's yeah, like exactly yeah, that psychic series... mind powers. Yeah, yeah, because that's exactly he, what that fucking series. He and Stephen
2: Moffat is. are in a battle over a chess game
3: yeah. over Buckingham <laughs> Well, if I could be sure of taking Stephen Moffat with me, then I would cheerfully accept.
1: <laughs> well done. Oh,
3: why does it always come back to poor Stephen Moffat, honestly?
1: <laughs> well, he brings it on himself, really, when
2: you think about it. He kind of does, doesn't he? Yeah. If he could stop making terrible television, well,
3: we'd, <laughs> yeah. we'd, we'd be <laughs> happy
2: <laughs> to praise him, honestly. Yeah. You know, if, if he, he just stop uh, making TV,
3: I could just, stop going on about the TV he makes.
2: Yeah. Oh wait, oh. he's doing Dracula now. So like oh, God. we're not yeah. going to have any opinions about that. For sure. No, no, <laughs> No that's one right. here he's, has any like connection to the history of the of the Dracula mythos.
3: He's so. it, basically the man isn't going to be happy until he and Mark Gatiss have smeared their shit all over everything that I love. So <laughs> I comf- I confidently expect them to come home one day and find them in my lounge, you know, smearing shit all over my cats and my books and things. Um, <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs>
2: uh, um, He's gonna make his new series up with Adam Smith. Will be yeah. you know? <laughs> no thanks. Um, Thomas Piketty for the win will be the next. <laughs> you know, that's like, a joke uh, like, that absolutely no one will get. But like, you know, <laughs> Jack understood it. what I was doing. But yeah, um, yeah. No, but... his
3: his new series is gonna be Hayek starring uh, <laughs> starring Jason Statham. There you go. <laughs> Not that I love Hayek, but you know what I mean. Um
1: I'm glad I'm glad this is really funny for somebody.
3: <laughs> yeah, two or three people are gonna get this. It's gonna be very it's it's more I'm important, important to be it's gonna it's gonna it's more important to be very funny for a small number of people than to be a bit funny for a larger number of people.
1: I think Daniel's gonna die, right? Like I'm watching right now and he's getting really red. <laughs>
3: Someone, him.
1: someone will have to explain this to me later on. <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm just going to move into some trivia for the first film and we can kind of move away from that because there's not I mean plot-wise there's not a lot to talk about in the first film like there's just no. kind of a couple of beats but we should at least What is Rachel McAdams? Oh god, mm-hmm.
3: don't don't. Rachel McAdams. Wow. She's so good.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely wasted in the second film, by the way. Watson's <clears throat> line to Holmes. Uh, you know that what you're drinking is for eye surgery is an obscure reference to Holmes' cocaine usage because at the time cocaine was used, was was uh, topical for uh, eye surgery. Uh, yeah, that's stories. Yeah. yeah, so that, that's kind of clever. There are reported references to five women murdered by Blackwood, and that kind of just is it like a stand-in for Jack the Ripper because, you know, mm-hmm. same time frame kind of thing. So um, I did like that, that they kind of like tied that in. Um, although they didn't explicitly do it, but it's, it still has like the um, sort of, it's it's, it's, it's not the Masons. It's a, it's another society or something like that, but it's still like, it goes into that sort of uh Oh, Jack, the Ripper was a Freemason and all that kind of stuff. It's it's
3: another one of those references. As I say, there's lots of references in these, like the, the thing with Holmes charming flies with his violin. That is, that is a direct lift from one of the Basil Rathbone movies. One of the shots of Baker street is almost exactly like the opening shot from the Jeremy Brett series, opening titles. The the thing about this sort of pseudo Masons and almost Jack, the Ripper, that's very much a reference to murder by decree. I think.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Colin Farrell was apparently in talks to play Watson before uh, Jude Law was cast. So, uh, hmm. yeah,
3: I think I think Jude Law is perfect in this.
1: Yes, so. uh, yeah, yeah. I was I was telling Jack uh, offline as well that um, I'm kind of like thinking Jude Law is my favorite Watson out of all the ad- adaptations, even though like I think there's. Maybe ones that are true to the character. I just really like what he does with Watson. Like I, I just, I, it's, it's I just, just,
2: I just a Watson who can throw a punch. Like mm-hmm. I love Watson who feels like he's equal to Holmes. Yeah, like, kind of doing his own thing. Like he can't do the deductive powers, but he can do it well enough to sort of support Holmes and kind of question Holmes, but also. Has this sort of martial prowess that even Holmes, with his sort of magic deductive superpowers, doesn't always like. He needs backup, you know, and that's where where Watson comes. Well, in.
1: Also, Watson doesn't put up with fucking Holmes bullshit. It's just like, no. Like, it, at one point, he's just so mad at Holmes, and, and Holmes is just going in one of his spiels while they're in the handsome, and he just punches him in the fucking nose. He's just <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, shut up and, well, and, and, nice the, and the medical
2: knowledge which comes into play in a really serious way in the second film so you know mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a much more of a back and forth I think in these movies um, yeah. with so, uh, and with Mary he, who gets, who gets uh, some, some nice stuff Especially yeah, the second film.
3: you can't just do it straight anymore you can't have Watson the jolly good chap who's basically just there to follow Holmes around and, and say oh Holmes that's amazing and Mary is well, just this you, little woman who's in one story and then dies conveniently you know audiences you just can, won't accept stuff like that anymore you
2: can make Watson that if you're a certain creator who we've already laughed over
1: oh right okay I see <laughs> mm-hmm so the second film is all about Holmes chasing Moriarty. He kills Irene Adler. I'm not going to bother reading the synopsis, but it's, it's just good. And again, Jack and I were talking about this before <laughs> Daniel joined. This is like
2: just one big movie.
1: It's, it, it really is. Yeah. It's just like a four-hour movie. Yeah,
2: <laughs> It's Holmes and Watson in proto World War I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, it, it touches upon that stuff, too. Like, it touches upon the stuff that we had in, like, what was it? Se- Secret Life or 7%? I can't remember which one. The one with the Loch Ness Monster. Secret Life. Secret Life, yeah.
2: And I saw that after I saw this um, originally, which... Cause,
1: yeah, because it, it goes into pre-modern oh, no. pre-modern war Actually, stuff. I
0: think
2: I did see Secret Life first. That's interesting. Oh, sorry. That's a... Ooh. But yeah, no, but, th- this does that, but does it more properly? It doesn't actually do it properly, but it does it more properly.
1: Yeah, it doesn't so, go deep into it or anything. It's just like, oh, war is bad. Well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, nice. the idea of
2: Moriarty as a war prophet here is actually really interesting. The idea and, that like this this is kind of where I land on like this 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 whole like kind of Moriarty mythos is like Moriarty can be brilliant, but the reason that he's threatened Holmes is that he has like this huge like resource. Like, he's hes not just, like, a crime boss, going, kind of going out there and, you know, running prostitutes or whatever. The angle should be, like, no, he's kind of going into world affairs. He's hes moving pieces into place. He's doing something. He's profiteering in a way that actually harms regular people. And Holmes is, should be the kind of the advocate of the people, regardless of his various class positions.
1: I like, like um, and this is that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. This is an aside, but uh, I I really like, um, I think actually my favorite uh, way Moriarty was treated as a character was actually in the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics, where Moriarty was actually an agent for the British government (laughs) who who was set up as a false crime lord, but he liked it so much, he basically just became a crime lord. (laughs) And. And it, it, it's actually kind of brilliant the way they did it.
3: But yeah. yeah, I I think uh, Jared Harris is just incredible as Moriarty. He's just yeah. magnetically sinister. Yeah. And the, the incredible bit where he sort of in, indulges is obviously rep, most of the time repressed sadism, torturing Holmes while singing Schubert's The Trout, <laughs> while it, it, looking at himself in the mirror. That's just fucking magic i that's villain magic i love that so much (laughs)
1: and his his other little moment that he that he allows himself is every once in a while he likes to go and feed pigeons
3: yeah Mm. yeah that's great Um, it'd be
1: great if you poisoned them that would that would be it
3: (laughs) but no it's i I love the depiction of moriarty in this because i you remember i said in one of the other ones that moriarty's kind of ridiculous because the idea Mm. of this guy who's a, a university professor and also a crime boss is just kind of absurd. Does he direct his huge criminal enterprise in between doing seminars with his students and grading papers? Grading papers, this, yeah. This this film just completely leans it. Well, the, both these films actually just completely lean into this. In the first one, Holmes identifies him as a professor because he's got chalk on his lapel. Ugh. And then in the second film, you actually go to King's College, Cambridge, and there he is like his there he is in in his Don's little waistcoat and his gown and everything. And he's teaching a class. He's in his classroom. He's, he's exactly like, you know, a a Cambridge Don. And I just love that. I love the, the idea of this guy. Who's just this, just a Cambridge Don, who also happens to be a massive crime boss. They just, yeah, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Don't worry about the fact that it's daft. That's exactly what it is. Mm. And I love it. And jared harris does it completely seriously so it just takes on this incredible sinister edge to it just him pottering around in his in in his uh, gown in his rooms it, it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant
2: well and he doesn't like there's no sense of and this is something that i liked in one of the uh one of the Rathbone ones that we did where there's no there's no moment of recognition there's no moment of holmes like catches moriarty and says like no you're actually the guy clearly you know like no Holmes shows up like, literally on invitation and it's like, you know, trust you're going to leave uh, my partner out of this. He's no longer a part of this. So it's like, no, fuck you. Yeah, yeah so I'm going to kill him too. And his wife. And, and, your, and his wife. Like, mm. again, well, like, again. Um, go on. Personal um, feelings on yeah, that. Yeah,
1: no. You know? And he, he makes the point of like, it's your fault. You pushed too hard into my doings and now I'm going to end you and I'm going to end your friends and yeah, I'm probably you... going to kill them first. <laughs>
3: You paid attention to what I do. That's crime enough for me to kill you and everybody you love. you and everyone you love. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because yeah. yeah, he
1: can't. He can't have loose ends. Like he can't have right. any loose end. And it's like,
3: even well, it's if... not
2: only loose ends. It's like I'm going to go after them because, mm-hmm. like, look, we're in. We're we're going to collide. And like, this is just, he well, phrases it as like, this is a, this is a, this is a, a force of nature. This is just well,
1: a thing He, he, he you know? is like a force of nature in a way, at least he thinks himself as one, because the influence he has where he kills Irene Adler at the beginning, the first half of the film, he sets that whole dinner date thing up just to kill her. And it's like all those people in that room, he claps his hand or whatever, and they'll leave.
3: And yeah, he poisons her. That's chilling, isn't it? Yeah. Every, everybody in that room is working for him. It, it, that's what you realize at that moment or their mind controlled, whichever way you want to read
2: Ooh. it. I, and I, it's, I, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather see it as like he, he, you know, he owns the restaurant or he has, owns the guy who owns the restaurant sort of thing. You know, he has these enormous resources and that's what makes him
0: hmm.
2: like, it's, it's less about like, I mean, he is brilliant, but obviously, I mean, Holmes wins in the end. So Holmes is more brilliant than than Moriarty but it's more that he has these huge resources. Like, he can send, like, a team. Like, it's not just, like, two assassins to kind of come in on the train. It's, it's, he, like, basically buys the fucking train. It's like a a regiment of people. Because, like, how do you kill, like, he doesn't even know, maybe he knows Holmes is going to show up. We could, we could kind of talk about, like, he's like, oh, I've got to kill Holmes's friend. Let's send in 50 guys. Yeah. You know, like, that's his, that's his angle on this. Like, let's arm them with cutting-edge military equipment, because this is the <laughs> only way we're going to do this. Like, this yeah. isn't even Holmes. This is Holmes's buddy.
3: Yeah, And this and is the level would, of
2: yeah. energy we have to give to this, because... I, I gotta, I gotta you
1: know. say, this is a much more satisfying Holmes-on-a-train scene than him fighting with <laughs> the, the King of Bohemia or whatever on the fuck at the top of the goddamn <laughs> trade pair of swords.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean...
3: You, you raise the class thing. I mean, I think this does this does kind of pit uh, Holmes and Moriarty in a kind of class battle, in a way, because, I mean, it acknowledges that Holmes is from privilege, right? Because the second film brings in Mycroft, and it shows you what is implied to be the family home, you know, where Mycroft <laughs> still lives and potters around naked. Stephen
2: Fry walking around naked.
1: Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: God, that scene is, like... <laughs> it was kind of amusing in 2011 and 2019. It's like, this guy's going to get me too. Like and yeah. you know? <laughs> like, this is Harvey Weinstein, like level. Of nonsense, but he's,
3: you know? the, yeah, the thing is, Mycroft is completely unconscious of, of any, I mean, he even gets that sort of, Line to to Mary where he says you know I've I've started to realise over the last few days that you know that a person might you know in extremists uh, a chap might in extremists come to you know not entirely dislike being in the company of somebody of your gender and stuff like that <laughs> so this is obviously a guy who's. I don't know Is he's, he's he's gay or he's asexual or something and you know or, or he's just got no idea he's just a, he's just a big kid isn't he minecraft yeah, he's, he really is. he's just he's just a huge toddler and he lives in their in their family seat and he's got he's got a butler follows him around and this well, ancient butler that waits he's... on him and and yet holmes is obviously from the same place but holmes lives this very bohemian lifestyle and he hangs out with the crooks and the the guys at the bare knuckle fights and stuff like that and so you've got holmes who's kind of a He's kind of from the ruling class, but he's a dropout. He's chosen to, to move amongst, you know, the people, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas you have Moriarty, who's very carefully shown in this to be embedded in King's College, Cambridge. And he's, he's actually the prime minister's best friend. And he's invited to be at the peace conference by the mm. government as an advisor. And as you say, he's got all these resources at his disposal. So the film does kind of, to the extent that it can, um twists the character of holmes in in a class way it, it does kind of do that doesn't it yeah it does holmes, yeah no
1: holmes refused to be propped up by the system that would have propped up his talents and used them for their
3: device yeah and, holmes and has and a very ambiguous relationship with the authorities in these films doesn't yeah he? I mean, he does, my, my there's Croft. no there's no fondness between holmes and lestrade really and uh, no no he he turns down the opportunity to work for this quasi-masonic order that basically, apparently, run the empire.
2: Yeah. Well, and in the uh, way the second film treats the anarchist movement is definitely sort of ambiguous in the sense that, like, oh, there are sort of people doing bombings and like this is bad. Uh, sorry. Are, are like
1: these are quote. these bombs supposed to be like? Uh, remember in the first film, there's this whole plot point around the device that Blackwood is using <laughs> that that was supposed to blow up Parliament and kill everybody. Um, but it, it's not like really a bomb at the end of it. It's a time release, like poison gas machine or whatever the fuck. Right? right. Like that technology is
2: never touched upon in the second film. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to imply that these are like, sort of like radio controlled bombs. I think this is, sti- I mean, that's yeah, cause, because I they that. make a, they make a point in the first film that, oh, uh, Moriarty is
1: interested in radio controlled devices. Like the, you yeah, know, the, I, the I burgeoning technology.
3: Yeah, yeah. kind of just but, gets dropped, but, but it the, does but tie the, the, in the, to the, an the, extent because what uh, uh, very interested in armaments, isn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. It's just,
2: he becomes like I just want to own the bonds and the bandages. I want to own the bonds yeah. and the bandages, and the you know. But like I, I find I find the sort of treatment of sort of the radical politics of the of the anarchist movement of the of the eighteen nineties or whatever, um, sort of interesting here in the sense that like. At first, it feels like they're they're going to do something. They're going to say like, "Oh, well, you know, these extremists are you know after." <laughs> but then, like once you actually meet one, it's like, "No, we were just kind of subverted by this guy who offered us money and he gave us resources, and then kind of took over the thing, and then started threatening my family. And what the fuck else <laughs> am I going to do?" Which happens. And, and, and for a hundred million dollar movie, I think that's amazing. Like uh, you know, it's I, to I, the degree that it's inadequate, it to the degree that it's inadequate. But to but like for a hundred million dollar movie, that's way further than I was pitching it to go. On. It does I, kind
3: of sidestep the usual horseshoe theory thing, where you know the <laughs> further left, the further left you go, the more. On the right, you are, and they become yeah. fanatical, and they just slaughter everybody because they're fanatics. It doesn't quite do that. It 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 shows the the, the lead anarchist. He has that that one scene where he's depicted with a fair amount of dignity, and it's like, mm-hmm. as you say, it's like the anarchist cause has been corrupted by being bought out by this guy. Yeah, I mean, and of course, yeah. Mor- Moriarty's relationship to the establishment or the forces of law and order is it's very ambiguous because on the one hand he is shown to be kind of part of it as i say he's a cambridge don and he's friends with the prime minister but at the same time he is outside the law and outside the forces of authority and you know illegitimate and that there's this kind of this is in both the movies actually and this is a political point about the movies they both kind of do this james bond movie thing where the the villain is somebody who does pretty much exactly what all corporations do, or all governments do. It's it's just that when he does it, it's bad because he's the villain. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, he, yeah. he he does basically what the British government does, or the American government does, or Shell does, or whatever. But it's it's evil when he does it because he does it secretly behind the law, you know, and he's he's he hasn't got the the forces of legitimate authority it, on his yeah, side. Yeah, he's,
1: he's doing it against the interests of the empire. He's, yeah. He's,
3: yeah, yeah, and that's I mean. It, you look at the first one blackwood is evil because he wants an empire well britain's already got an empire he's standing in the in the houses of parliament the seat of empire saying we're going to have an empire and that's why the film's saying he's so evil because he wants to rule the world well that's where you're standing is where the world is essentially run from at this point because they've already got an empire you know and in in the second film you have um you have the same thing happening again. It's like more, isn't it awful? Moriarty wants to start a war and make loads of money from selling armaments. Well, that's what's as Moriarty kind of points out. That's what's going to happen anyway. Yes. He's he's not wrong. Why, why why is Moriarty evil and a villain? Because he's one guy trying to do something that all these various competing imperialist states and their, and the the, the capitalists that they represent uh, are going to do anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Really weird how this happens again and again <laughs> in these sorts of films. I do
1: like that some of the gypsies, at least in this film, get some agency, although it, it goes into that expendable gypsy kind of trope yeah. for every film, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you start killing them at the end. Like there, there's that whole uh, scene at the end of the film there in the woods where they have that arterial barrage in the woods there where they're mm-hmm. just just start blowing and like that would have killed all of them, by the way. Like if any even a cannonball lands beside you being shot from a cannon it's probably going to kill you just just the uh the actual pressures from it's, it are going to kill you yeah
3: if you watch the films back to back it's kind of especially glaring because the first film actually shows reasonably accurate for this sort of film uh-huh. exactly that sort of thing happening because in the scene on the wharf where you get the explosions <laughs> oh you yeah see in, in slow motion you see both watson and then at another point holmes and adler being sort of blown backwards or blown sideways just yep. by the the force of the explosion pushing the air outwards. So when that doesn't then happen during the a bit too long, I would say chase through the woods. Yeah, it's a bit jarring. But, yeah, because
1: they, they all would have been turned into jelly. Like there's yeah. <laughs> none of them are surviving. But
3: uh, the other problem with that is that it it does show you that there's there's a bit too much slow mo in these films. Yeah, one um, one of the reasons why the fight scenes do get a bit draggy is not so much that they happen too much. It's just slow-mo happens too much. Generally. I think it yeah, would Rich- have been Richie likes his slow-mo doesn't can't help himself. Yeah.
1: I guess, you know, I do, I do have a, a problem with Irene Adler being dropped so quickly in this film, but
3: yeah, that's a it, shame.
1: And then, and then it, it takes like half the film for it to become really a, a, a sticking point with homes where, Oh, I'm doing this for Irene in some respect. You know when it's shown that they actually have some sort of love affair thing going on, and then it did. It's kind of drop all that, but um, at least they replace her with a really hot gypsy girl who <laughs> does the action girl thing, you know, or whatever. But still, I, I would have rather it had just been like Irene Adler survives throughout the entire thing, kind of kind of deal, honestly. But. Um,
3: yeah, you you could you could rewrite it so that it's Irene Adler's brother, and she and he were both members of an anarchist cell in New Jersey or something, couldn't you? Because <laughs> I Although,
1: mean, it, it feels like something she would do.
3: Yeah, but it does. I suppose it lends a bit of because they're going for that very European feel to the mm-hmm. second film, aren't they? So yeah, I understand um, why they did it. Bring in a new character, etc. Yeah.
1: One one scene. I, one scene I want to point out here. Um, so like the the score for both of these films, which I by the way. I think this is one of my favorite modern movie scores. Like between these two do, films, the, do, 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 the, the 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 Hans Zimmer do, do, shit. Like, I th- and I think that's some of his best work. In, in no, it's great. Recently, it's in my head right now. Um, I love that he brings back uh, Ennio Morricone's Two Mules for Sister Sarah" in, in a sequence where where they where they get the horses and they put Holmes on the donkey. And it's just a direct rip from Two Mules for Sister Sarah, and it's fucking amazing.
2: Is it? I why, I, I didn't I didn't catch I, that. Why would I want a being with intelligence writhing between my legs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole thesis can be written about. Yes, yeah. that. yeah.
3: <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, what's that? What is that line saying? Is that saying that he's asexual? Because that doesn't seem to. I mean, how how do we how do we read Holmes in these films? Because you can. You can read him as asexual, but with romantic feelings, or you can read him as bi and poly, you know, kind of he wants mm-hmm. to be in love with Watson and Irene Adler at the same time. His, his perfect setup would be those three living together. You know, it, you can, you can look upon like, you know, oh, what maybe, you know, a few years ago at the start of their partnership, he and Watson just used to fuck sometimes. Yeah. It was just the thing. I mean, they're, they're... Or, or maybe what's, you can also read this as like Watson is completely unconscious of that. Yeah, and he doesn't even get that Holmes is behaving like a jealous ex-wife. <laughs> well, and Holmes
2: and Holmes as the sort of bohemian character, sort of there's a moment where it's like um, uh, Watson says, "Who taught you know who taught or um, uh, Holmes says, 'Who taught you to dance to Watson?' Like after he, Holmes has been leading Watson around the dance floor, and then Watson's yeah. like, "You did. Well, you had mm. an excellent teacher. It's Like, well, you know, like <laughs> yeah, queer baby is fuck. Like it's, it it's is. practically text. It's practically text in this film. <laughs> you know?
1: And I was and I was thinking back to uh, Secret Life, where <laughs> Watson was dancing with the. Uh,
2: I just uh, imagine like a scene that we never got to see, where like Holmes taught Watson to dance. Like he said, like, "Look, you might have to like pretend to be a woman at some point, <laughs> and you might have to dance. You might have to learn to dance as a woman." So I'm gonna sit here. We're gonna spend four hours, and we're gonna dance around my apartment. And I'm going to teach you to dance with me. And like, it's totally just a code for like craving intimacy from Watson. Uh,
1: And you see, yeah, there, there might be some subtext here that we're not getting like the stuff you didn't see where Holmes has hit on Watson in the past and Watson just ain't into it. So he's just, but I, I still love you. And you're still my friend. So I'm going to tolerate you hitting on me every once in a while, but I'm just going to do it with a little bit of a shrug. Like, okay, you can fuck off now with that shit. We already talked about this. I'm not going to stick my dick in your ass. Get (laughs) out of here with that stuff. And Holmes is still like, but come on, you want to, you really want to. Yeah. And yeah. And then it, then it gets really uncomfortable and it gets into consent stuff. And then it's like, yeah, no one ever thought about that when they were writing this film. (laughs)
3: Or it could just be, you know, back in the early days of their friendship, 10 years ago, whatever it was, you know, if Watson's had enough to drink and Holmes has had enough cocoa leaves or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just a thing that happens every now and again.
2: Hey, it's college, you
3: sometimes know. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: Sometimes you just got to blow a, blow a buddy, you know, it's just a thing yeah, that's- that happens, <laughs> right, you know?
3: That's probably quite true to life for these guys like this. They spent an enormous amount of their time in homosocial environments, you know, college and school and the army and stuff. They spent a huge amount of their time just surrounded by other men. So I don't doubt that it happened all the fucking time
2: how much of yeah. like frat guys like today kind of sitting around and like kind of talking about their penises and like you know, like pissing in front of each other and stuff it's basically like this sort of veiled homoerotic stuff like mm. there's no yeah. doubt that like there's a lot of that, that ha- i mean the victorian age like we at least sort of like we in america sort of like tend to think of it as you know oh stiff upper lip or whatever but it's like beneath the surface like this this was the most pornified generation in history up to that point
3: oh god yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, touring and porn, like everything that you can see on the internet today, existed somewhere in London in 1890. Like,
1: hey, go to go uh, go watch "Taste the Blood of Dracula" again. You get a nice club with <laughs> naked women with snakes on them and shit, and yeah, yeah, you could do that. Um, <laughs> and then Dracula shows up and goes, "They have destroyed my servant."
3: Hmm. No, which I they care must about,
1: be destroyed.
3: Which I care about for some reason. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's just more for of no a particular insult. reason I care yeah. about this no, it's, it's just servant a, of mine who clearly a, a, I have no particular relationship with because <laughs> I am yeah. very much a straight man with healthy red-blooded not-American because I'm clearly not American desires.
1: I'm Christopher Lee with a wig on that looks very, very convincing but not so much so now that when someone saw me bald, they've now seen the line, the line of my wig in every fucking movie they've watched since. <laughs> that, that's not something that's I happened have, to me.
2: I have never had a hard-on except in the presence of bountiful women. <laughs> that it's
3: the only reason one would ever have a hard-on.
0: Yeah,
2: Taste right. the Ralph... Blood of Dracula has no ulterior meaning.
3: Ralph Bates this... has no attraction for me whatsoever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I... uh... No, we yes, are no. so far off field in this episode, but we're talking about movies that, like, hopefully everybody's seen. The
1: man. series has ruined Christopher Lee in a way for me. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, uh, when once we got to the point where I saw Christopher Lee fucking bald, and I learned that was his real hairline, I have watched three or four movies with Christopher Lee in that since, and I'm just seeing the fucking scalp line of the fucking wig he's wearing now. And I notice it every time now.
3: So you've lost all respect for him now that you've. He's terrible
1: he was... now. Terrible actor now. Yeah. I can't. I can't even yeah. watch him. No, it's it's just it's just like wow. I, I see him a total new like I've known forever that Peter Cushing had the fucking wig on for like a good thirty years, like last 30, 40 years of his fucking career. But Christopher Lee I never noticed, and now I do all the time.
3: <laughs> you you have a strange mind, Lee.
1: I'm sorry. It's just like, wow, those, hair, those <laughs> hair pieces are fucking immaculate. Like they have, like Burt Reynolds should have hooked up with the dude who did the hair pieces for them, man, because.
3: Well, it's it's kind of a tragic paradox, isn't it? Because Christopher Lee's hair pieces were so good that no follicularly challenged Hollywood actors like Burt Reynolds realized that he was wearing a hair piece. If they had, they could have got in touch and said, yeah tell me where you get yours, man. But they didn't know because it was so good. It's a catch-22 situation.
2: I like the idea of Burt Reynolds in like 1974 calling. Like, I see it as a text, even though it's 1974. I call on a on a big rotary phone, like with the dial, you know, you roll around <laughs> and you call him up and go like, so tell me where you get your, your hairpiece, man. That's what I see right yeah. now in my head.
3: <laughs> Christopher, Christopher, Lee,
2: Christopher Lee giving him like a particular address in London and being like, you know, fuck that, I'm not flying over the Atlantic.
1: Please. Yeah, no, no, Christopher Lee be like, which one were you again, Smokey <laughs> or the Bandit?
2: <laughs> no, it's automatically I, I was both Smokey and the Bandit. That's what <laughs> no one realized. You know,
3: yeah, it's like when people don't realize Frankenstein is the creator, not the monster. Mm. It's the same thing. Yeah. No, I see it as a phone call where Burt Reynolds is on the phone with Christopher Lee and he says, "Where'd you get your peace, man?" And uh Christopher Lee misunderstands and he says, "Well, I I like to read about Charlemagne and uh I like to I like to read the Lord of the Rings. That's where I uh relax."
1: I'm going to record a heavy metal album about Charlemagne at some point.
3: Yes. And uh re- reminisce about uh, snapping Nazis necks during a war. World- <laughs>
1: Yeah, the real James Bond fucking snapping Nazis' necks. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Enough of these. Asides, Uh, (laughs) I think I think it's fair to say we both, uh, we all like these these two movies. I was about to say we both these movies like Uh, that. That wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna come out very well. I'm not
2: sure sure the third one's gonna turn out without Guy Ritchie involved. Like, if Guy Ritchie was involved, I'd be at least hypothetically interested in the third one. But without him, I don't know. Like, I I feel like it's just gonna be a a pale retread. So
3: yeah, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's I mean the moment the moment has passed. You know it's. It's done. It, they form a perfectly nice little yeah. four-hour movie on their own.
1: Just leave it alone. Trivia for this one, just I just pulled up this brief thing here. There was a bunch of people considered for Professor Moriarty. Um, so, like, in the first film, it's a, it's not Jared Harris. It's just it's a shadowy uh, yeah. character. Well, that's the rumor, anyway. That was Brad Pitt's voice. Because they actually... I guess they went back and redubbed Jared Harris's voice over that. And from, I, I, I think for, um, I think for actual like subsequent uh, releases of it on DVD oh, and really? stuff. Apparently
3: the, the version I have must be pre that. Cause it's definitely not Jared Harris in the version of the first one I've got. Mm, Cause actually
1: mm. the one, the one I rewatched for this, um, it was Jared Harris. You could tell it was Jared Harris's voice, but um, Brad Pitt, Gary Oldman, Daniel Day Lewis, Sean Penn and Javier Bardem were considered for Moriarty
3: No, I'm glad they chose Jared Harris because he's by far the best of all of those
1: and he he works so much because it's Jared Harris even though you know he he is a recognizable actor he's not nearly as recognizable as all those guys and I think Mm. that would kind of be distracting from the part
3: he's a he's genuinely a better actor than most of them as well I would say
2: Uh I would be really interested in Javier Bardem doing it only if he does it in uh, No Country for Old Men no, I was, I was going. Um, one hundred years of solitude. That's where I was going. Oh,
1: that. okay. I was gonna say.
2: <laughs> where he already goes
1: around uh, getting shopkeepers to flip coins and uh, mm. decide whether he kills them or not.
2: Yeah, getting um, arms dealers to, to flip coins and then you know yeah
1: no yeah it's killing uh, people
3: with like a a pressurized tank thing with a hose.
1: Well, I mean yeah. that gets in that that goes into you know you could kind of work that into the Sebastian Moran stuff. And yeah. also I, I like I like the yeah, Sebastian I like Sebastian Moran and and uh, the second film too in this even though he's just you know he's just kind of a. Thug who doesn't have any lines. I He's he's a right bastard, though. Like He's he's a fucking yeah, no, right. He's, he's, <laughs> he's good.
2: He's a great yeah. secondary villain, and you can see him if they were going to make a third film. Mm. Yeah, because he gets away. Yeah. He gets away, he'd be the villain of the third film. Yep. If that was going to happen properly and not the whatever bullshit they're going to give us. Well, you know, <laughs> they, might, they might. I mean, if they might be. That I'm might sure be the idea will, for. I'm sure they will try. It's like, going to be like the empty we'll house. Hollywood, call us again. We say this in almost every episode these days. Yeah. We can do this better. Please give us a call. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So budget for the
1: first was ninety million, and the box office was five hundred and twenty-four million. So did fairly well. A budget for the second one was one hundred twenty-five million, and didn't do quite as well comparatively, but uh five hundred and forty-five point four million. So still really so still, well.
2: Like these, these are. Among the most successful films we've covered on Tempedos. Like, that's, that's... You know, we we so often, like, spend our time in box office mediocrity, which is part of the joy of this. If podcast, we can even get like, box you know. office fucking... Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like, it, it, it made $30 in a drive-in. Somewhere. It made
2: 5 trillion Italian lira. That's oh. the only information we
1: have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, DVD stuff for this... Uh, just go and look for it because you you can find both these films in multiple DVD and Blu-ray combination packs and the releases. The first one,
2: the first one is on uh, Amazon. Uh, sorry, uh, Netflix in the US right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up renting the sequel from Amazon because it was the easiest and quickest to like three dollar purchase. So that's the way I, I watch these. But um, I'm sure they're both available in uh, varying. You know, these are recent films, so you know but but if you are in, in the U.S., uh, the first one is on Amazon. Uh, pardon me, on Netflix. I said it twice. Swear, that's where. We're yeah, at. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but right now, go watch it. It's good.
1: Yeah. But yeah, this was uh, absolutely a lot of fun. Uh, this little deep dive we did into Sherlock Holmes stuff. It was... I'm
2: gonna miss not having a weekly Sherlock Holmes date with you with you all. Like,
1: yeah, hey, it's yeah, gonna,
3: it's be, gonna
2: it's be a sad moment. My wife will appreciate having uh, these evenings uh, with me. Uh, to rewatch Mindhunter Hunter, apparently, because that's a thing that we've been doing. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, yeah, no, it's been great. yeah. That's and so I'm sorry,
1: Watson. You today. you you go off to your wife, Watson, and leave us behind. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I'm that that makes in
3: this? that's <laughs> That oh, makes oh, me oh, Gladstone, there. doesn't it? In this scenario, <laughs> <laughs> or Mrs. Hudson, maybe I don't know. <laughs>
2: uh but Lestrade, the better Lestrade
3: No, I tell you what, I pop in every now and again, and uh, you know beguile you. So I'm Irene Adler. I want yeah, to be Irene go, Adler. You,
1: hey, that works. Yeah. Oh yeah, I also wanted to mention. I forgot. I was going to say. I was going to say something. Uh, Robert Mallet as Dredger, the big giant in the first film. Oh yeah, uh, former professional wrestler. Oh really? And, oh. And, yeah. I, I
3: would never have guessed.
1: <laughs> Canadian professional wrestler from uh, from here in the Maritimes too. By the way. Uh, the Acadian oh. giant and he was one also of your Kurt- people. I get it. Yeah, one of my people, I guess. Yeah, and uh, apparently he actually legit knocked out Robert Downey Jr in one of the fight scenes. Oh, I oh. believe it. I'm
3: <laughs> yeah. um, I'm envious. I'd like to do that.
2: <laughs> I mean, those those sequences are like those those fight sequences are pretty hardcore. Yeah. In the, in the you know, like the, obviously there's CGI and there's fakery, there's, you know, like the stunt choreography and everything, but like this is this was this was in that era of like no we can do real fight choreography now. You know, we've learned how to do this and uh, mm. yeah, no. It's it's pretty yeah.
3: great. Yeah, the fight scenes it it again it, it it's very much of its moment, you know. But um you, you can tell watching these movies that they're from 2009 and 2011 in all sorts of ways. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this is among the best these these are among the best examples of these sorts of things that they that they're very uh, typical of.
1: Yeah, I, honestly, they're I find them way like I was comparing them to the Pirates of the Caribbean films, way more rewatchable than those films I I find. Um, and anyway, uh, Jack, no, I
3: I'd, I'd agree, I'd agree.
1: It, it was it was an absolute pleasure having you on for this series, and I mean, of course, you're always welcome back. Whatever.
3: The, yeah, this, thank you no this has been great fun i really enjoyed this and uh, yeah i will uh, i will pop back maybe quite soon we'll see but uh, yeah. yeah thanks for having me it's yeah. been really interesting to see all the all uh, sort of concentratedly watch these holmes adaptations and see how they the things that they have in common and the things that they differ in you know it's been uh, and, and of course it's been a lot of fun talking with you guys thanks very much
1: yeah so uh, where, where can people find you
3: Okay, Uh, if you want to read my stuff, you can go to my blog, which is Shaboom Graffiti, which is spelt with one O for boring reasons, uh, which is part of Ereditor and Press. If you Google either of those phrases, you will find me. Uh, Easier still is to go to my Twitter, which is at underscore Jack underscore Graham underscore. Uh, You will find updates about everything I do there, uh, including the podcast I'm currently doing, I Don't Speak German, which I do with uh, an obscure person. I don't know if you've heard of him called Daniel Harper.
1: Yeah, and uh, of course we've we've linked uh, Jack's details before in previous episodes. What I'm going to link this time in this episode in the show notes is the short story that you have oh. written and just recently published on your blog, which is excellent. Uh, it's a really good little ghost story. That um, oh, thank you so much. And I, I'm not even just saying this because you're you're a friend and everything, but uh, I do read a lot of short horror stories, and this is one of the best short horror stories i've read in quite a few years so oh wow I really enjoyed it
3: <laughs> thank you so much i blush i blush
1: <laughs> and daniel where
2: can people find you i do a podcast you might have heard of it called i don't speak german with uh somebody who you might have also heard of named jack graham i don't write uh Short horror stories. Instead, I uh, probe the. Uh, he lives.
3: Horror. He lives a long horror story. <laughs> yeah, know, I live a long horror story,
2: in which uh, uh, terrible people threatened to burn my house down, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, we shouldn't talk about that on this podcast. Yeah. That's probably not the place to do that. But you can find that I don't speak German. Com. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. I am closing in on four thousand followers. It would be really nice to uh, get there uh, soon if uh, people wanted to do that. But, yeah um,
3: I'm I'm lagging way behind with just over 3000 so help me catch up with Daniel cuz he's insufferable at the moment.
1: Yeah <laughs> the guy never never shuts up about it.
2: Yeah it turns out when Nazis threaten to burn your house down and then somebody writes an article about you uh you gain a lot of Twitter followers at in
3: that mm. moment, you know. Yeah some some people have all the luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook links. Facebook group is the best way to get in contact with us, give us recommendations. The next few episodes are going to be uh, recommendations from Jeff Williams. So, I mean, if you're prolific enough in doing recommendations, then uh, you might get a month of your own.
2: Where we give, gel- give us 100 recommendations, and we'll do eight of them. We
3: yeah. Probably- yeah.
1: Hmm. Uh, so, so the next,
3: the next little while is going to be uh, they must be destroyed on site. A game of Jeff Williams,
1: yes. <laughs> uh, and actually, the next episode when we do it, whenever it shows up, is going to be this gun for hire from nineteen forty two and woman they almost lynched from nineteen fifty three. So we're going to do two films in that, and then we're we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth two films, one film, two films, one film, and that's going to be our Jeff Williams series. For now, anyway, but yeah. So, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, guys, for uh, joining me. Uh, it was again, it was a great pleasure to, to do this series with uh, you, Jack, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, we're not going to be doing a Sherlock Holmes podcast, but. I would not be opposed to like coming back to this like somewhere down the road and hey let's do a couple more Sherlock Holmes films and yeah no I I would love to do that
3: yeah it would be great yeah I I'd be well up for that so yeah great
1: awesome all right again thank you everybody and we'll see you again when we see you bye bye. have been listening to they must be destroyed on site for other episodes our links to apple podcasts youtube and our facebook group as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com thank you drive through
3: If you don't want, if you don't want it to make it something you tackle, hush,
2: hush,
0: hush, hush.
2: <laughs> nobody loves you. <laughs> yeah, nobody loves you.
0: Hush. What have you done?
3: What have you done to Gladstone, Daniel? <laughs> He killed the dog again.
0: Ruthie, (laughs) come here.